I'm going to read verses 6 to, I believe, 15 here. So if you would follow along with me there. Um, I don't think I have that on the screen, so don't worry about that part. Um, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of ascent to, of Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel while they were going down to the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. David says, no, thank you. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the, son, uh, when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set about for a whole day. There's been no day like it before or since. When the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it and be encouraged by it, challenged by Uh, what you've done through your people, Israel. Um, And God, we pray that you would encourage our hearts this morning with how we can apply this to our lives as we we follow Jesus. And so God, I just pray for this time in the word that you would strengthen us, encourage us with your word, uh, apply this message to our hearts. May my words be yours, uh, God, yield myself to you in Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, So just a little bit of set up here. So um, as we know, we've been through a number of battles so far. We've been through Jericho. We've been through AI. um, And then after AI, we had this group of people come up to to the Israelites and say, hey, we, we came from a very far way. We're not a part of this land that you're taking over. We're from a big, long distance, and they actually disguised themselves in their clothing and their food and their rat, all, their, all their provisions. They masked them to make it look like they had come from a very far distance, from outside of the camp of Israel, because somehow word had gotten around that if, uh, if you're from a nation outside of Israel, then you wouldn't be completely destroyed by this judgment that was coming from the God of Israel, the Lord. Um, but if you're inside the, city, the, the country of Israel, the, the land, then you would be completely destroyed as a people. And so the Gibeonites came to Israel and said, oh, we've come from this far distance. We want to make covenant with you. We want to be part of your people and, and want to be your servants. Um, and without inquiring to the Lord, the Israelites said, okay, we'll make a covenant with you. And it was soon found out in their covenant-making process that they had actually come from very nearby, uh, maybe a day or two's journey from the camp at Gilgal where they were uh, kind of parked. And so 
so they deceived Israel. And, and we could see why. I mean, if you've been watching Jericho's walls fall down and Ai and Bethel seem to put up a fight but then completely be destroyed by this group of uh, this country. Um, and, and you've already heard the stories of what they did to Egypt and the wanderings and the crossing of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan and all these information is coming to you, you know, you're going to be cowering. And, and even, in fact, Joshua at a number of points has said the kings of this land were afraid. Their hearts were melting before the people of Israel. Okay, so Gibeon reaches out to Israel and says, we want to be one of you. Um, we want to make covenant with you. We'll be your servants. And we saw graciously how the Lord gave them kind of a pretty cool position to be the woodcutters um, and water gatherers for the temple itself. Um, and ended up, you know, their territory ended up housing the Ark of the Covenant for a number of years before the temple was even built. Um, so the Gibeonites actually play a pretty important part in, in the establishing of, of Israel. Um, and so today what we find is in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 10, the Amorite kings, there's actually five kings, they gather together and say, there's no way that we can fight against Israel as, you know, individual kings. We need to join forces and work together to, uh, to attack this. Um, this is a completely unrelated point, but... But I, I, I found this information out today. This is totally unrelated. This is just, this is just a bonus. Just had to share with you, okay? Uh, does anyone know where five guys came from? Okay, five kings. You can see how I was thinking about fives. All right, does anyone know? You know, it's five sons. Five sons of uh, this couple in uh, uh, the Virginia area. And I guess when they got close to the age of, like, deciding whether to go to college or whatever, they had, like, a family meeting and dad apparently had a little bit of capital, right, to do this. But it was like, hey, your decision. You want to go to college, you want to start a business. And they decided to start a business. And so the five sons of the uh, Merles, I think their name is, I actually had it written down because I was going to, like, really incorporate it. But it's totally, it's totally, anyway. The only thing that's significant is that there's five of them. So five kings of the five guys. Anyway, they took over the burger country. Anyway, um, uh, so, so. Jim, Matt, Chad, Ben, and Tyler, 1986. They decided to start a business instead of go to college. And now we have five guys. So, so there you go, America. All right. All right, moving forward. Okay, anyway, so these five kings say there's no way we can take over McDonald's without, you know, joining forces as the five. Okay. All right. Okay, there's no way that we can take over Israel without joining forces together. Um, and attacking them. So, so they come together and say, okay, come, come help us. What we're going to do actually is not strike Israel. We're going to strike Gibeon because Gibeon says, oh, we're not with you know, the, uh, the Canaanites anymore. We are now with Israel. And so we're going to strike Gibeon. And so that's an interesting tactic. They're going to like strike the people that are against like the, their, their new enemy. They've now become an enemy because they've associated with Israel. So they're going to strike Gibeon. And so it's an interesting kind of setup, right? The kings of the land aren't striking Israel. They're striking this new ally of Israel, and we're going to see what happens. So they go and they strike Gibeon, and Gibeon reaches out to Joshua and says, come up and help me. Uh, wait, that's not, that's not where I'm at. Uh, verse 6. He says, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up quickly and save us and help us. For the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered 
against us. So Gibeon reaches out to Joshua and says, hey, you know, the five kings are coming to attack our cities, and, and we're in covenant with you. We're your servants. We're like, we need your protection here. And immediately, Israel sends all their armies to help at Gibeon. This is impressive because, like, they've just made covenant, and now they're completely giving their protection immediately. I think that's pretty cool. So Joshua and the whole army march from Gilgal, where they're camped at, to Gibeon. Um, and the Lord comes to Joshua in verse 8 and says, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua comes upon them quickly. So the key piece that you're going to see throughout this today is that the Lord, like whose battle is this? Joshua's, is Gibeon's, the Amorite kings? No, the Lord is going to give them into your hand. He tells Joshua again, do not fear them, for I've given them into your hands. Not a man will stand before you. And so we see in verse 10, as soon as they get there from Gilgal, they march all night, get to Gibeon, and immediately, verse 10, the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of ascent to Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And they fled before Israel. So the Lord sends them into panic, and they begin to you know, be, be chased away by the coming army of Israel. The Lord throws them into panic. And then, in addition to them, you know, you know the Lord using the, the sword of Israel to chase out uh, the Amorite kings from Gibeon. Verse 11, as they fled before the Lord, um, the Lord threw down large stones of hailstone uh, upon this fleeing army. And actually it says there were more who died because of the hailstones than those who were killed by the Israelites themselves. And so it's the Lord who's given them into his, uh, their hands, and it's the Lord who threw them into a panic before Israel, and it's the Lord who sends down these hailstones upon them. The Lord is battling uh, for Gibeon, right? I mean, this isn't just, I mean, Israel is now accepted Gibeon, and God also has accepted Gibeon as a, a people group that they're going to protect. I just love that aspect. It just reminds me of Rahab being brought into the fold. It reminds me of Caleb, who was not an Israelite, who's brought into the fold. It reminds me, again, that, that we are, you know, we're not born into this heritage. God has graciously brought us into it. Once these Gibeonites were enemies, and now they are children of God, receiving the full protection of the Lord and his army. And so the Lord uh, fights this battle for them. And um, the, the timing of this chapter is a little bit like, you, you have to you remember kind of uh, the way things are written here. It's like going to tell one part of the story, and then it's going to tell another part of the story. So we don't really know where this section, verses 12 to 14, stands, which is Joshua's prayer to the Lord. It's put at the end, or like right in the middle of the battle, really, but like we're not sure if it's like at the beginning of the battle, during the battle. Like we don't really know where its placement is in terms of when, the Lord was pre- when Joshua was praying to the Lord. But right in the middle of this, you have this powerful statement um, that says, uh, verses 12 to 14, At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. So all we know is it's the same day, right? Um, It's not after, not before. We're not probably just in the midst of it. And it says, He said in the sight of Israel, Sun stands still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And I want to pause it for just a second just to clarify something that I was reading about on this passage, 
um, because uh, there's this, there's, it kind of sounds, as you read it in our translation, like Joshua is the one speaking to the sun and to the moon, right? It says, and he said, sun stand still and moon do not go down, right? Um, but there's pretty good evidence to show that even though it says he said, the he is actually the Lord uh, that's speaking rather than Joshua speaking to the sun. Um, what we do see later on is that what is marveled at in this passage is that the Lord listened to Joshua's plea for help. That Joshua said, I need your help with this battle, and this is how the Lord responded. He stilled the moon, and he stilled the sun, and he fought this battle on behalf of Israel in protection of the Gibeonites. So what is marveled at is that verse, uh, verse 14, there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua cried out to the Lord, and the Lord responded powerfully, extending the day, whether, uh, whether figuratively or literally. Another conversation about that. Like, was it really like a standstill thing? There's some like folklore that we have evidence of scientific data, you know, missing like a day in our history of time or whatever. There's some like conversation about that. But like, however you're going to interpret it is fine. I, 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 think the harder I think the harder translation of the traditional understanding of there actually is a day uh, that is extended, we should accept. We should just be okay with the fact that like, just as God caused a flood that destroyed all mankind, so too he can still the sun in the sky. So we shouldn't be surprised that God does something miraculous um, in that case. But, but either way, whether figurative or literal this time, what is marveled at is God is listening to the cry of Joshua's heart and saying, we need your help here. We're going to protect our friends, the Gibeons, and we need you to fight this battle. And God says, sun, stand still. Moon, do not go down. Um, it's important to say that because you know, one reason that I want to point that out is that the emphasis is on Joshua reaching out to the Lord for help is that some have looked at this passage and said, oh, look, like we can pray these prayers that just command God's creation to do whatever we want. I mean, Joshua told the sun to stand still. So if I just pray hard enough for the things in this world to happen and have enough faith for that, then I can like stop the moon and the sun. That's ah, not ever happened. You don't control the sun or stars or moon. You know, the Lord does. What we see here and what we should marvel at is that what the text marvels at is that the Lord listened to Joshua's heart cry as he cried out and said, Lord, we need your help in this battle. Should we pray audacious and powerful prayers to the Lord? Yes, absolutely. Do we command the sun and the moon? Nope, we don't. We don't. So the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry back to set for a whole day. Um, the Lord heeded the voice of Joshua and listened to him. The battle continues on in verses 10 to 21. In the five kings, it says, verse 16, the five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makeda. And it was told to Joshua that the five kings had been found hidden in the cave of Makeda. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. 
but do not stay there for yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack the rear guard. Do not let the, them enter the cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. And when Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and the remnant that remained in them entered the fortified cities, all the people returned safe to Joshua at the camp of Makeda. So we see that Amorite kings flee this battle. They flee the hailstones, they flee the sword, and they find a cave to hide in. The Israelites, as they're pursuing this people, find the kings and seal up this cave and make sure that they're going to stay there, okay? And they continue this pursuit of the rest of the people. And finally, after all of the fighting is completed, after all this battle is done, they go back to the kings and they draw them out of the cave. Verses 22 to 28. Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings out from the cave. And they did so and brought these five kings out from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, of Jarmuth and Lachish and Eglon. And they brought these kings out to Joshua. And Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men, Come near and put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies to whom you fight. From the beginning of this passage, when God is telling Joshua that, that he will fight before him, that the Lord has given them this battle, to this time when Joshua has completed the battle with the people of Israel and the kings are there before them, these mighty king, Amorite kings. He says, do not be afraid of these kings. God is going to continue this fight throughout all the land that he has given you. Be strong and courageous. Be pretty intimidating to be like, you know, an Israelite leader. And now these kings who have these fortified cities who are probably armored very well are standing before you. And now you're supposed to be taking them down. It would still be intimidating. But Joshua says, no, God is fighting this battle for you. He has defeated these things emphatically. And so they kill these five kings, they hang them on a tree until the evening, and then they put them in the cave where they sought refuge and close it up to this day. <clears throat> so again, you know, another wonderful Sunday school lesson to learn from this morning, another war battle to, to walk through and, and, and say, okay, God, like, what, what do we do with all these things? And I'm going to remind you again of, of many things that I've reminded you before that uh, God is wanting to do something with our hearts and wanting to show us something about our hearts in the midst of this as we apply it to ourselves. Um, so there's a few things I want to share with you. First is this, which I started out with. The, Gibeons, the Gibeonites ask for help, Right? The Gibeonites came before Israel and they asked for help. They said, um, I know we just made this covenant. I know we kind of deceived you into that. You know, I mean, like we totally lied to you and you bought it and we signed that covenant. Remember that covenant that we signed and we did the whole ceremony thing? Like we're together now. Remember that? Yeah. Well, we need your help today. Could you imagine being a Gibeonite thinking, are they going to help us? You know, like we just... We just deceived them into this covenant. Now we're just their slaves. Are they going to come and help us? And they do. And this is how God is with us. At one time we were enemies of God, and now we're his children. 
And there's nothing he won't do to come after our hearts. Romans 5, 6 to 10. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It can be very easy in our walk with the Lord, you know, when we mess up, like, okay, uh, I know that like, I was a sinner and you saved me, but I'm struggling with this sin again. And like, could you help me again? Because I've betrayed you again. You ever been there? Like, you thought that, you know, when you became a Christian, like all the sin battles are just over and like all this. It's like, no, sorry. Like, it's a, it's a continuous sanctification God is doing to us. And, and you feel this shame as you go before the Lord after you sin, right? Like, if you caught yourself in sin as a believer, okay, post-becoming a Christian, okay? You've all been there, right? You're a Christian. You trust the Lord for your salvation, but you find yourself dealing with this sin. And immediately when that is happening, the guilt and shame comes on you, and the devil wants to tell you, see, you're still not good enough. Well, God says, that while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are his. We are his forever. We've made a covenant with him in Christ, and he has saved us. While we were enemies, we are now his children. There's nothing he won't do to reach out to us, to fight for us, to be there for us. <clears throat> we see it in the midst of this battle, right? I mean, who comes to fight for the Gibeonites? Joshua cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, we're going to help this people that we made a covenant with, and we need your help. And who does all the fighting from start to finish? It is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. God is fighting your battle, not you. You're not fighting this battle. The Lord is fighting your battle. The Lord is the one that sends your enemies into panic. The Lord is the one who throws hailstones down upon them. The Lord is the one who delivers them as they flee into a cave. The Lord is the one fighting our battles. In the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our sin, we can ask the Lord for help. The Lord listens to us. I mean, it was powerful that Joshua had a, had a line to the Lord at that time. But something has changed now, right? Christ has died, and he has risen, and he has sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Now the presence of God is in you because of the blood of Jesus. And so there is a greater power now inside of you, a resurrection power that is in you, where you have this lifeline to the Lord, and he listens to your prayers. He listens to you as you cry out to him for help. We're all going to face stuff this week, and we've been facing stuff this last week, and I know it. And as you face the things that are ahead, 
Don't do it in your own strength. We've seen how that ends for the people of Israel. All right, we've got to articulate this, you know, figure out how this works, you know, and, and I'm going to make a plan, and we're going to solve this, right? Like I was talking to John just last night. He said, how are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to repair a Rubik's Cube. He's like, Rubik's Cube? How do you repair that? It's like, like figuratively, you know what I mean? Like, like all these little pieces, trying to figure them out, you know? And there's a place for that. But at some point, you got to set that down and go before the Lord and say, Lord, okay, here are all the pieces. Um, need your help. I, I can't make them go together. As many times as I turn that thing back and forth, the pieces won't turn to one color. I don't know what to do with this thing. You know and I know that the Lord is listening to your prayers. He hears them. He responds. He shows up in his timing, not yours, which is really not fun, but, but it's good. Just as the Lord listened to Joshua as he asked for help, he listens to you even now, so cry out to him. It's his battle. He's listening. You don't stand in any shame or guilt anymore. The cross has completed that. You stand righteous before God until eternity, and you've entered eternity in your righteousness because of the blood of Jesus. It is finished, okay? When you've accepted Christ, it is over. You are righteous before God. So don't let Satan or an enemy or yourself cast shame on you because you're still struggling with stuff. Just knock it off and trust in Jesus. And to the final point, the judgment on the Amorite kings. It can be easy to you know, hear that message, okay, like, God's covered all your sin, so, like, you, you don't have to worry about it, because it's all covered, like, past, present, future, and so, like, I guess I shouldn't worry about sin, because, like, it's all covered, so maybe it isn't that important to worry about sin, because, I mean, it's all been paid for, so, like, why should I struggle with the sin that's happening right now? I mean, I think that this passage shows us that God cares about sin, The judgment on the Amorite kings. Remember the macro of, of what's going on here. God is using Israel to judge the people of Canaan. This land that he is giving to them, he is giving to them, um, one, to provide a place for them and a place for his presence to be, but two, to remove the idolatry and idol worship and sacrifice of people that was happening in that land. To remove it. To say, these people are not treating people as image bearers of God. They're treating people as sacrifices. And so, yeah, it's, it's time to come in judgment and remove what, it was, what is sin. To say sin is, uh, one, it's, uh, it's a sin, it's against God. Two, it is harmful to the people of God. And so this judgment on the Amorite kings comes forward. You have to deal with the fact that God is serious about our sin. He wants us to be in battle with our sin, and he wants us to cut its head off and cast it into a cave. Like, that imagery of what is going on there, I mean, it's grotesque, right? But truthfully, that's what God wants to do with our sin. It is ugly and terrifying and gripping every piece of our soul when we let it. And so we've got to extract it, remove it, bury it in a cave, and never see it again. So yeah, God 
takes judgment on these five Amorite kings, and, and they find refuge in this cave, right? And that's how sin does, right? Here it is. I'm going to be here with you for a little bit, and then we're going to hide away. Oh, I'm not here. Not a problem. We have to cut it off and live instead of by the flesh, by the Spirit. Romans 8, 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live... Uh, we, oh, sorry. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For did you not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear? But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We have to put to death this flesh, this sin, and fight against it and walk rather than in the flesh, in the spirit. You can see in the entire conquest how much God cares about removing our sin and replacing a child identity of the Father in heaven into us. He wants us to know that we are his kids and he loves us with all that he is and all he is doing is for our good. I've reflect, been reflecting on the whole of the uh, book of Joshua as we've been going through it, and I just think it's just this testimony. I mean, you, you literally can see a testimony of a believer as you read the chapters, right? You can see the progression of like a, a, just a typical progression of the Lord moving us as individuals into him, into relationship with him, right? Here we are in sin outside of Israel, and God calls us, hey, you know, you're going to go to this river and we're going to cross it. You're like trying to understand what it is to follow this God. And all of a sudden he opens your heart up and says, this is who I am. I'll move the rivers for you. You go across and you're like, man, you remember that when you first became a believer, when you first realized, oh, yeah, like God saved me. You step into this and it's like this fresh new life, this new understanding of Man, God is my king, and I serve him, and he loves me, and he's protecting me, and God has saved me. And you get bold, right? You're like, all right, we're going to fight some battles, right? We're going to go take care of some stuff. And there's so much fervor as you first become a believer. And you do, you see God do some amazing things. Maybe some Jericho walls are falling down. Maybe some people are coming to know the Lord around you. Then all of a sudden you think, I got this figured out, right? I know how to do this. I know how to do this. And you become AI. You try and do things on your own. Instead of trusting the Lord, and the Lord has to remind you humbly, hey, 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 this is, uh, this is my battle, remember? Uh, from start to finish, not just coming to know me, but the whole thing, it's my battle, and I'm fighting it, but I'm fighting it for you. God is doing a miracle among us, and it's his battle that is being done. And again, we, we, we tend to think that the struggle against sin is just over when we become a believer, but it's not. New things come up. We are, we, it's not like it gets 
lot like you're struggling with the same things, but you struggle with them deeper. You understand them deeper. And the more and more you grow in faith, the more and more you realize how, how dark we are as people, right? How deep the sin is in our flesh. And it's, it sounds like a bad thing to like come to that realization, but actually it's a joyous thing when you realize that when, like really, not just at the surface level, were you an enemy of God, but like deep down, you hated him in your motivations. You hated him in your desires in this world. And God says, hey, I'm, I'm just going to root that out one little bit at a time. I'm going to find it when it's hiding in caves. I'm going to take it out. I'm going to rip it to pieces. And then you're going to know just how much I love you and care for you, that while this was still in you, I died for you. That is, is mind-blowing. I mean, as a believer in your life, as you've walked with the Lord, do you not just grow more and more amazed by his grace? I mean, is there another day like that you step into as a follower of Jesus and think, man, uh, like, God is so good. I don't deserve this. The more and more I go on in faith, the more and more I realize how much I was an enemy of God, how much I don't deserve what he's given to me. The Lord is fighting your battles. He's listening to your prayers. He is fighting for you even though you once were an enemy of his. And he calls you to be a part of this. So come out with me. I'm going to fight this battle and just watch. I'm going to make the sun stand still and the moon sit in its place. I'm going to send this sin in panic before you and it's going to hide in caves. But you've got to go after it and remove it completely. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good one, one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, I thank you that you fought for the Gibeonites. I thank you that because of the blood of Jesus, an enemy of God like myself could become a child of God. That despite the past of my life that cannot be rewritten, you have accepted me as your son. And not only have you accepted me as your son, you have called me to go and do things for your kingdom. And God, I thank you that that is not just a story particular to me, but to every follower of Jesus in this room. I once was lost, and now I am found. And so, God, I pray that um, we would just be reminded of the gospel, that there is nothing in our own effort that we can do. We cannot do this on our own behalf. We simply trust you and you work. And so God, help us to trust you.
God, for those who might not know Jesus or follow Jesus, we were all once there, and we testify that, yeah, once I was an enemy of God, and now I'm his child. And yeah, you might not understand what he's calling you to. He might be calling you to the banks of a Jordan River and asking you to step your foot in that river and walk across. Man, it's the best journey of your life. So we thank you, God, that that by the blood of Jesus, we can be your children. We can stand righteous before you. God, give us the strength to not give up the fight, but continue. To continue to fight for our families. Struggle against uh, the things that are holding us back from what you have called us to do. Help us not grow uh, faint in, in fighting the good fight that you've put before us. Help us to find the hidden kings in our lives and root them out and destroy them. Those sins that are, that are sitting there still with us, keeping us back from what you've called us to do, help us fight with vigor, the strength of the Lord fighting for us to remove them. Lord, get us out of the way. Help us not trust our flesh, but rather trust your spirit that lives inside of us, God. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. He has made this possible that we could have such a relationship with you that you would fight for us even though we once were your enemies. God, we ask that you would have your way in our lives. We look ahead at this week and we know there, is, there are lots of question marks, lots of uncertainties, lots of sin struggles, lots of relationship struggles, lots of, lots of stuff. We don't know how to manage it all, Lord. We have no idea. So God, help us not to worry about tomorrow, but rather trust today in what you are doing. To seek you each and every day. Ask for your help. Cry out to you like Joshua did. And say, God, we need your help. We need you to, I don't know, like hold them still for a minute or whatever. And then let's watch God work. Lord, you're so good. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the mighty power um, of your spirit that's at work in us because of Jesus. And we commit our lives to you this week, God. We pray that you would do with them as you will. Lord, the things we're facing, we cast off all anxiety and fear. And we walk with boldness knowing that you have already set up what we need to walk in. So help us trust the steps that you had before us and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen.